1: North Korea's APT-37 is distributing M2-RAT, multilingual business email compromise attacks and how they happen. Assessing the cyber phase of Russia's war as the first anniversary of the invasion approaches, Killnet's attempts to rally hacktivists and criminals to the cause of Russia. Dinah Davis from Arctic Wolf describes continuous network scanning. Our guest is Dr. Inka Karpinen of CyberSafe with a look at cybersecurity through the lens of a behavioral psychologist. And Grand Theft Auto is now also a TikTok challenge. From the Cyberwire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your Cyberwire summary for Thursday, February 16th, 2023. North Korea's APT 37, also known as Red Eyes or StarCruft, is distributing a new strain of malware dubbed M2RAT, according to a report from Anlab Security Emergency Response Center, ASEC. ASEC spotted M2RAT being distributed via phishing emails last month. The emails contain documents that will execute shellcode by exploiting an EPS vulnerability in the Hangul word processor which, bleeping computer notes, is commonly used in South Korea. The shellcode will download a JPEG image to the victim's machine, then use steganography to extract code that will download M2RAT. The malware is designed to exfiltrate data via keylogging and screenshotting. M2RAT will also scan for mobile devices that are connected to the infected machine and will transfer any documents or voice recordings to the PC. ASEC explains that APT-37 usually targets human rights activists, journalists, and North Korean defectors. The researchers note that since the threat actor targets individuals and personal devices rather than companies with expensive security solutions, the victims often don't know they've been compromised. Abnormal Security today detailed insights into multilingual business email compromise attacks in a report and insights into two actors, Midnight Hedgehog and Mandarin Capybara, who launched these campaigns in multiple languages concurrently. BEC attacks may be somewhat less prevalent than their phishing and identity theft counterparts, abnormal security researchers say, but the availability, affordability, and accessibility of software and technology lower the barrier to entry in targeted multiple-language attacks. These attacks use common sales and marketing online services for malicious purposes. The research states, Using these resources, BEC actors tend to collect target contact information, referred to as leads, within a certain geographic area, usually a single country or state. Google Translate doesn't hurt either. While it's not flawless, it is free and allows for quick translation and turnaround to victims of varying tongues." The approach of the first anniversary of Russia's invasion of Ukraine has prompted a number of retrospective assessments of the cyber phases of Russia's war. The Washington Post cites expert opinion that sees a general Russian failure to integrate its cyber efforts into a more general combined arms operation. This failure has led Russia's cyber campaigns to be far less effective than expected. Dmitry Alperovitch, executive chair of the Silverado Policy Accelerator, the post, for cyber to be effective on a battlefield, it has to be deeply integrated into conventional military plans. They've utterly failed in achieving any tactical or strategic success, Biasat aside, which actually was a combined arms operation with significant effects. And despite the efforts of Russia's cyber criminal auxiliaries, large-scale and devastating cyber attacks against nations sympathetic to Ukraine have also fallen short of expectations. CISA director Easterly said, I think all of us were surprised, somewhat, that there have not been more significant attacks outside of Ukraine. In a report issued this morning titled Fog of War, How the Ukraine Conflict Transformed the Cyber Threat Landscape, Google's threat analysis group Mandiant and Trust and Safety Groups offered an appreciation of how the cyber phases of the war have developed. Google makes no pretense of neutrality in the war, which it directly calls Russian aggression. Russian cyber operations have so far fallen short of pre-war expectations and may well continue to do so. But Google thinks that the war has shown that cyber operations are likely to remain an enduring feature of future wars. Flashpoint offers an update on the Infinity criminal-to-criminal marketplace, which KillNet, the Russian cyber-criminal auxiliary, has opened to attract more talent to the Russian cause. It continues to offer strong financial incentives to those willing to work for the Kremlin. One interesting conclusion the researchers arrive at is that Infinity's rules are much less fastidious about permitting financially motivated crime against Russian organizations than other Russian criminal forums have been. The researchers state... Notably, the forum does not seem to discourage members from selling data breached from Russian entities, such as malware logs or passports, which traditionally is frowned upon or downright forbidden on most Russian-speaking forums. So, Russian businesses and individuals may be on their way to becoming collateral damage, or, if you prefer, friendly fire casualties. And that, too, from Moscow's point of view may simply be another way of serving the state. Finally, here's the latest threat to your car, dimwits yucking it up on TikTok. Car manufacturers Hyundai and Kia have rolled out free theft deterrent software for vehicles that don't have an immobilizer, the United States Department of Transportation said in a press release on Tuesday. Social media giant TikTok, known for its short-form video format, has seen the promotion of a so-called Kia Challenge, observed since July of last year, in which users share videos showing how to remove the steering column cover to reveal a USB-A slot that can be used to hotwire the car, Leaping Computer wrote yesterday. This challenge went viral, and Los Angeles, California saw an 85% increase in Kia and Hyundai thefts in 2022, with Chicago seeing a nine-time increase for the same brands. The issue resides with a flaw in the vehicle's turnkey-to-start system that allows for bypassing of the immobilizer that verifies the authenticity of the code in the key's transponder to the car's ECU. This allows thieves to forcibly activate the ignition cylinder using any USB cable to start the vehicle. The NHTSA says that the update provides an extended alarm duration from 30 seconds to one minute and requires a physical key in the ignition to start. More updates for more models are anticipated in June. We leave comment about the malign imbecility of social media influencers as an exercise for you, dear listener. Remember the Tide Pod challenge? Yeah, we wish we could forget it, too. And good luck to Hyundai and Kia drivers, as CISA would put it, apply updates per vendor instructions. Coming up after the break, Dinah Davis from Arctic Wolf describes continuous network scanning. Our guest is Dr. Inka Karpinen of CybeSafe with a look at cybersecurity through the lens of a behavioral psychologist. Stay with us. Dr. Inka Karpanen is a behavioral scientist at behavioral analytics platform provider CybeSafe. I reached out to her for insights on the human side of cybersecurity through the lens of a behavioral scientist.
2: CISOs work in different industries. They work in retail industries, they work in banking, financial services, as well as more service related industries. And the top tip for any of these industries is to listen to your people, talk to your people know who your employees are, because that's the only way you're actually going to then find out what you need to do uh, for your cybersecurity um, initiatives for the year, for example. So it is really check out the, the practices, especially if people are using uh, what we call shadow practices in cybersecurity. So you might have... a. Uh, training uh, procedures, you have policies in cybersecurity, you know, things you do and you don't, uh, what is allowed, what's not. And we need to make sure that those policies, for for example, and procedures are clear. They are concise. They are understandable by all the people in the organizations. And obviously, different organizations consist of different types of people. So, really, if you're going to talk to people, even what during the coffee machine break, whether you send a Slack message, or whether it's a simple survey, you can find out a lot about them. And if you then ask, okay, how, you know, what do you guys know about multi-factor authentication, for example? And you know that you've given that training, you know, earlier in the year, they say, oh, actually I don't know what it is. Now if you find that one person who doesn't find what it is, I bet you there is about, you know, multiple of others. So depending on organizational size, you can multiply those people. And uh, and finding out what what are the knowledge gaps, why people, even if they know how to use multi-factor authentication, why are they not using it? Ask, are you using it? How are you using it? Do you find it, you know, does it help with your productivity? Um, does it hinder your daily job? You know, is it paying? And you might find something really, really interesting. And uh, then you can help them to actually either break the beliefs or myths or break the procedures in in a more digestible format.
1: How do you nurture those good habits? How do you uh, encourage them to do the right thing?
2: That's a very interesting question because uh, it can be applied to anywhere, uh, whether it's your personal health. Or die. Now we're talking about cybersecurity, which is something that it's a bit of a for a person, they don't see it. So when when cybersecurity is good, kind of nothing happens. And when something goes wrong, then the train kicks in, everybody goes in a panic mode, and then something happens. So actually encouraging good habits means that you have you actually have to communicate during those times that things are good. You know, uh, if, if you do a phishing simulation, for example, if I identify my fishing, this is a simulation, I press report button at my end. Well, I just don't get any feedback, basically. Well, what if you would get a feedback? Uh, how good does it make you feel when you actually correctly did something? Um, so that's the kind of open uh, feedback environment that could actually potentially help a lot on these matters and and i've actually received something like this myself a few weeks ago when i reported a phishing email correctly and even somebody who works in the industry i thought oh this made me really happy i've done something correct even that tiny little bit although i work in an industry and you know i know about this stuff uh, but it just makes people good feel good and it's collaboration so listening to people Asking, you know, if you do have have a mistake, you, you recognize that you clicked on a link that you shouldn't have, um, report it. Tell us, tell somebody about it, whether you tell it to your line manager, whether you tell the IT or somebody in your security team, you know, let us know, because that's the way we protect organization. We protect you as an employee. And because we're going to be protecting you, we also protect your family because, we we are doing well. You get to uh, you know still have a good organization to work to. We will survive tough times, and uh, it's it's more personal. So it kind of hits the point of actually why are we doing this thing? We are fighting against cybercrime together. We are not like individual players in a team, uh, and one team is only responsible of this. Um, we everybody's in the same boat, and everybody benefits from good cybersecurity hygiene, um, including your family. (laughs) So Mm. let's encourage that. And that's how you probably get through the, the difficult part of explaining people why something should matter to them. You make it more relatable to themselves. It's a bit like the health behaviors. So you look at, you know, stop smoking, drinking campaigns. It is pretty much about the benefits of what happens when you do so. In
1: your body, for example. That's Dr. Inka Karpanen from CybeSafe. And I am pleased to be joined once again by Dinah Davis. She is the VP of R&D Operations at Arctic Wolf. Dinah, always a pleasure to welcome you back Uh, I saw over on the Arctic Wolf website, you all had an article about continuous networks scanning. Uh, I think that's a topic worth discussing here. What can you share with us?
0: Yeah, so, you know, attackers are working around the clock to try and get into our corporate networks, right? And one important technique to thwart that is continuous network scanning. But, you know, okay, so what is that, right? So it's monitoring for intrusions around the clock. You want to be able to reduce the likelihood that an IT system will be breached to steal that data. And if it does happen, you find it quickly, right? And that that really Hmm. does need that continuous um, monitoring. But it also requires continuous and automatic alerts, right? So that, you know, when something happens, you somebody gets notified. So you can, you can look at that. And then the other part of continuous network scanning that is good is it helps you build reports so that you can evaluate your defense posture, basically.
1: What about alert fatigue? I mean, you say you you get all these alerts. We always, we talk about the, the fire hose of alerts and people get tired of it and start turning them off. And the next thing you know, you're, you know, you're kind of working against yourself. How do you fight that fight?
0: Um, so alert fatigue is a real problem. You have one of two choices, really. Uh, you can spend a lot of time, um, tuning your system to make sure you're only getting what you really care about. So you don't get alert fatigue or you can go with a managed provider. Um, and you know, with Arctic Wolf, that's what we do. We, you know, only notify our customers when something really bad is happening, but we do take everything in. Um, and we've written all kinds of rules and algorithms to figure out what is important so that, you know, our security engineers don't get uh, alert fatigue as well, right? It's, it's important even in our internal sock for them not to get uh, alert fatigue. So there is a balance there. Um, and it, it is very important how you set it up. And if you don't set it up correctly, you could end with that for sure.
1: I see. What are the different types of network scans that are out there and and that people should know about?
0: Yeah, so like first, there's like two methods of network scanning, right? So there's the passive network scanning. And so that's the tools that are going to like watch the data and activities that are flowing through your system. And then there's active network scanning where you're actively trying to poke holes in places, right? So Mm. um, you want to be doing both, but obviously the passive is easier to do kind of around the clock. Whereas the active is something you can only do every once in a while, right? Because you have to actually do something about that. So um, important, the first one I would say is external vulnerability scans. It's a passive scan. And what it's trying to do is, you know, look at your network from the hacker's perspective, like from the outside, hence the external and external vulnerability scan um, and uh-huh. it's looking at external IP addresses, at domains, at ports. Are they open? Are they not? Um, these types of scans are what happen, like are used or like have been used to find, you know, those open, um, permissions on GitHub repositories and things like that. So you can, you can use it in that way. Uh, internal vulnerability scanning is also very important. Uh, that is done from inside the network and it's it's running scans on everything in your network um, and it's noting every software version that it's running and then good software will be comparing that to the latest software that you have as well as comparing to see if there's any major uh, security issues with the version you're running uh, and then mm-hmm. recommend an upgrade for you, right? These can be... Run automatically at regular intervals, both of those things. Um, And the third passive uh, scan would be a host based agent scan. So, software that actually lives on the devices in your organizations to track active progress, like applications and Wi Fi networks you're connecting to, USB drives that don't conform with company policies, that kind of stuff. It really Uh, watches those types of things. And then finally, you have the active scan, which is basically penetration testing um, or, you know, in the lingo, pen testing, um, if you hear that. Um, And it's really testing the effectiveness of your cybersecurity efforts, um, identifying potential weak spots. And not only is it testing your software, but it's often testing your human response capabilities as well, right? So if you do a true pen test and, you know, your team actually sees it and thinks it's real, they're going to react and you can see your whole organization, how they're going to work. Or they might not react appropriately, and then you can know where you need to go and do some training.
1: All right, well, interesting stuff. Dinah Davis, thanks so much for joining us. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. The CyberWire podcast is a production of N2K Networks, proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. This episode was produced by Liz Irvin and senior producer Jennifer Iben. Our mixer is Trey Hester with original music by Elliot Peltzman. The show was written by John Petrick, Our executive editor is Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow.